So, <clears throat> often referred to as the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, we covered the first six verses uh, by way of introduction when we were together, I was going to say last week, but I think it was three weeks ago, um, I haven't uh, been here. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And we pointed out that faith, biblically, is not some empty, mindless thing. So very often that's how it's described. And it's evidence. There's a whole aspect to this of uh, you know, the spiritual realm being more tangible than what we experience here in the physical realm. And I, you know, very tempted to go off on all of that, but, you know, suffice it to say that the spiritual realm is more real than the realm we're living in right now. You know, we experience this so much that we have that, you know, from birth to death understanding that this is like all there is. And uh, there's much more to uh, our state of existence. And with that also, you have the evidence, especially <clears throat> historically, of what God has done. The nation of Israel, all that it has experienced, and we're going to go through some of those specifics, that show us evidence that God is real and is fulfilling the things that he has said. And as Paul says in Romans, creation itself reveals his existence okay so so it isn't a mindless faith there is substance to it and then take uh, as we come to the lord and begin to pray and communicate and seek him we begin to see things in our own lives happening and so as you progress it should be that that faith is building no no i've experienced things with the lord now I'm in a bigger circumstance, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to walk forward with steps of faith. And I know from the scripture, from creation, from history, from my own personal experience, you know, so tangible. This is, this is not just some imagination. There's a real thing behind this. There, there, there is substance behind it. And then we talked about Abel <clears throat> offering a more excellent sacrifice, and the fact that as far as we can tell, According to the scripture, they didn't even eat meat up until after the flood. So why raise sheep and why butcher sheep other than to, number one, clothe yourself and, number two, to offer sacrifice to the Lord? And that's what Abel was doing. Cain offered from the labor of the ground and his own works, and there was that conflict that occurred there. Then we referenced Enoch in verse 5, uh, was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Genesis recording that Enoch walked with God and was not, that he was removed without dying from the earth, which I pointed out is a precursor mirror image of what's going to happen ahead of us. That as we walk with the Lord, we will be caught up in the rapture, according to uh, you know First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen. Uh, we will be caught up before the wrath of God. Enoch was caught up before the judgment of God in the flood. We are looking as the church 
to mirror that image and be caught up to the Lord before the wrath of God is poured out during the tribulation. And there are other things I'll avoid trailing off into that. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please him. This is probably the most potent portion of that introduction that we did when we were reading this last. Uh, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I, I, I dwelt on that point of the diligently seek him because a lot of people passively approach God, you know, in a very lackadaisical, oh, I go to church sort of attitude. And there has to be an aggression to our pursuit of God. Uh, that is how the reward comes. You know, God isn't holding it at bay. Don't get me wrong in that. But, uh, you know, you can fade and drift by not being diligent and not being adamant about your relationship with God. And when you are aggressive and diligent about your pursuit of God, oh, the rewards that come, right? I always couple together what the book of James says about, does any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God who gives generously to all, but let that one who asks believe and not doubt. That man should not think that he'll receive anything. And he goes on to describe how he's unstable, blown and tossed like the waves of the sea. <clears throat> You're going to ask, you're going to seek, right? Knock, it needs to be continual. That's, that's, what, that's what, when we hear, you know, knock and it will be open, ask, you'll, you know, it'll be given to you, seek and you will find. It's that constant present tense is what the, uh, you know, Greek originally said, continuously knocking, continuously asking, continuously seeking, you know, open to receive and find. In uh, that type of behavior. So, having finished verse 6, we proceed forward this week with verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness of which is according to faith. Now, um, you know, some of us have probably uh, done that Ancestry.com deal and you send your, you know, sample away and they, you know, correct your thinking. You thought your family was German and you find out that you're actually, you know, Slombovian or something anyway. Um, you know, I, uh, I have a young friend an acquaintance uh, who is African-American, black as can be, and uh, they did the Ancestry.com, and he's less than 15% African. You know, it's it's almost an entirely Northern European. Uh, we, we have all of these assumptions based uh, upon these things. Where I'm going with this is the, the Human Genome Project has discovered that the entirety of the human race bottlenecks at two locations. In the ancient world, it goes back down to four sources, right? Noah and his sons. And then once again, it goes back down to one, you know, or it, because you have either side of that, two, Adam and Eve, or eight, uh, you know, the, the, 
the family of Noah. And, you know, they don't have an explanation for that. They just, they just it's so interesting. They've discovered it, and wouldn't, wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, yeah, just as the scripture says, okay. Um, and uh, I've, I've read online, which is always a load of junk, <clears throat> you know, the people that argue and say that's not true and that's not how it is. And um, then I've actually heard some of the um, sermons that were taught by the man who was the oversight for the entire uh, human genome project. He's a born-again Christian, and he explains the whole thing. So um, <clears throat> what the scripture is saying is true. Point being, by faith, Noah, because of godly fear, preserved the entire human race. Okay, um, we get to our own bottleneck in crisis, and often our thought process is, well, how much does it really matter if I'm obedient in this setting, if I do as God is calling to me to in this setting? You know, do you ever wonder whether Noah wrestled with that? You know, how, how much is it really going to matter? To which we all sit here right now and go, thank you, Noah, you know, <laughs> because he, he, his obedience preserved the human race. Uh, Jesus saying, you're the salt and light of the world. You individually. You know, salt, the preservative. Not, not just to lend flavor, right? In, in that ancient world, there was no refrigeration. The only source of preservation was salt. They salted everything. Uh, very valuable. Uh, every culture that you went into, if you did not have coin, you could buy, sell, and trade if you had salt, Right? The Roman soldiers were often paid in salt, huge sums of salt. This is where the phrase comes from that a person could be worth their weight in salt. There's a real value to it for preservation, right? We're supposed to be preserving the world, stopping the decay. I say, again, in regard to this whole COVID crisis and all of the things that are associated with it, we need to stand up and stand our ground on the issues, particularly, and don't get me wrong, not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not anti any of that stuff. Okay, what I'm, the, the idea that you don't get a choice, you can't choose for yourself, the government overreach and mandates, the fact that they're telling us you cannot go to church, you know, think about that, right? The football team can all huddle together and a big squad on the field for the NFL and scream and yell their commands back and forth to one another, that must go on. But churches can't get together and sing. Yeah, why? None of them are wearing masks. Why, why can't we get together? What, what is the mandate? How is the order set out against Christians, against Christianity, against worship? We need to preserve. Noah preserved by faith, fear of God. Right? <clears throat> oh, I'm afraid. What are my neighbors going to think? What, what is the world around me going to say? What, well, the minute you start that, right, you're being a man pleaser. Yeah. I'm more concerned about what people are going to say than I am what God is going to say. He said, right, Hebrews, right, tells us 1025, previous chapter, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. And I talked about the fact that that's the interlocking. Right? For functioning purpose. The things have to be put together 
and work together to function to accomplish. We, we need to do that. More and more I'm getting tempted to not do Facebook Live. I'll, I'll put it up. You know, I, I'm still doing it. I'm going to continue to do it. Uh, but, you know, people have been using it as an excuse to not come to church. Need to be together. Need to assemble. I, I'm grateful that you're being taught. I'm grateful that this is serving the body of Christ. But we need to. I need to see your face. You need to see mine. And, and in that process, uh, you need to say to me, Hey, uh, you need to do this better. And I need to say to you, hey, you can do this better. And, and you know what I'm saying? And we, and we sharpen one another. We, f we function and we work together. This is a necessity. And it's a commandment of our king. Right? Godly fear compelled Noah to obey the Lord. And now we sit here and we praise God for his obedience. We must, we must follow the example. Condemned the world. Noah, he, by doing this, condemned the world. I don't think Noah was standing on the edge of the construction sh site shouting at the, the heathen world, right? But again, we, we believe that it had not rained up until this point, right? There's the canopy theory, and I buy into a lot of that, but it's not written in the scripture, so I can't really put that down as solid. But what I can know is that Genesis tells us that in the daily water cycle, that the mist came up from the ground and watered the plants, that the rain did not fall from the sky. We have no description of water falling from the sky to hydrate the planet. The mist came up from the ground. Then when the flood occurred, it says the fountains of the deep burst open. Okay, there is strong evidence, and this is speculation on my part, that a meteorite punched through the atmosphere, shattering the firmament that was above, the water canopy, causing it to fall, and then crashed into the surface of the earth, shattering the crust, and causing all of the water underneath to burst out, and the landmass collapsed into it. The oceans that we see now jump forward to the new creation in Revelation, and it says, and there are no seas. So is that reflective of the first creation, which we're living in the wreckage of it? The oceans and the seas are perhaps part of that devastation that occurred. So, you know, we'll figure it all out in the end. Point being, Noah shows up and starts saying, hey, it's going to rain. Water's going to fall from the sky to, to people who have never seen that happen before, right? When the skies burst open and started pouring water down upon them, everything that Noah said started becoming a condemnation. Have you had people come to you, maybe early on in your walk or before you knew the Lord, that said to you, hey, stop sinning? And you acted like, what a jerk. <laughs> and then you blew your life up with your sin, and everything that they said before now sounds like, I told you so. They're not even there saying, I told you so. They're not there condemning you, but what they said is now condemning you. I don't think Moses was a harsh guy out there yelling at the crowd. He was probably pleading with them to repent and join him and escape the wrath of God that was to come. 
And then when the wrath came, right, Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door, right? Because probably like you and me, we would have let him on board. And it would have been the wrong move because God was purging the earth of the sinfulness that was there. There's a lot contained in each one of these little things, and I'll try to only dwell on the ones that are a little more significant. But Noah stands out as a guy who, because of fear, and you know our culture has this whole thing of toleration that it just preaches all the time. And you, you even say, ah, oh, you don't fear the Lord. And they're like, you know, th- like somehow that's wrong. How, how could you say that I should be afraid of God? Maybe you haven't meditated upon who God is. And what he is and what he's capable of and the judgment that is to come. You need to be filled with a respect and a literal straight out fear of God. It needs to compel you. To do the right things. So lots of illustrations in different ways to look at that. But that is a necessity. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive, or out to the place rather, which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Right? The scripture tells us that Abraham was an idolater, that he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, and that he worshipped the celestial bodies, the stars, the sun, the moon. You know, that was the culture. That's what they all did. And God spoke to him and said, I've chosen you, and you need to leave this place, and you need to leave your family. Now, any of us that know the history there, uh, Abraham kind of dragged his feet. He didn't just say yes and go and live, you know, in Canaan and wait for God. He kind of jostled around and jumped into Egypt and, you know, here and there and back and forth and eventually settled on it. And God summarizes it as he was obedient. Isn't it nice to think that God looks at your floundering that way? Right? You kind of, like me, probably hang your head in shame of God told me to, you know, Follow him and obey him. And man, I spent years sort of failing and falling. And finally, you know, I'm in a place where I think I'm standing in the place where I belong pretty solid. And God summarizes that by saying, I called Will and he did what I was calling him to do. All all of the failure is erased. See, that's the grace of God. uh, that, That covers all of those difficulties that we go through. The, the fact that here, you know, it's summarizing Abraham obeying him. I mean, there was a trip to Egypt where he even did that thing where he arrives and says to Sarah just before they get into town, look, now um, tell everybody you're my sister, not my wife, right? Ladies, would that go over well with you if your husband said that to you, you know? Okay, I'll put it in a different way. You're just about to arrive in a certain town, and your husband says, don't tell anyone that you're my wife. I beg your pardon. You know, I can tell you that would be a very boisterous conversation in my life. That's not recorded here at all. Even to the point that, right, the king takes her into his household 
and is going to sleep with her. He, he, he is taking her into his harem, going to make her his girlfriend or his wife. And God plagues the household and reveals to the king what Abraham has done. None of that's recorded here. I'm not bringing it up so that you can remember the dirt. I, I'm bringing it up so that you can understand the grace of God, which brushes all of that aside. Right? When we say, when we read in the scripture, God separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, literally, you might be talking to God like, remember my failure? And he'd be like, nope. And I was horrible. I was terrible, God. And he'd say, I don't have any record of that. But there was that time and I was so disgraceful. And he's like, not, I don't, when? <laughs> right? Cleansed away. By the blood of the Lamb, gone, not part of your history. Praise God. Praise God, right? Did you respond, you big jerk? Did God call you and you said, okay, fine? And you failed and you floundered and you're, you know, somewhere further along the line right now? Praise God. He's looking at your response in faith. That, that's why this is recorded for us here. Re remember how this said in the beginning that there was this great cloud of witnesses? And, and I pointed out that that's not them sitting in the bleachers looking at us saying, oh, you're terrible. You were clearing the hurdles, but now look at you. You're laying face down in the mud with your knees all scun up. They're not doing that. They, the great cloud of witnesses, as it's recording, is what we're doing right now, looking at them and noticing, hey, none of their failures are recorded. That is witness to us. They are the great cloud of witnesses to us that are saying, you can do it too. You, 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 you haven't done well, God's not going to record that. God's not going to look at that. right? It's not an excuse to just go out and be a miserable failure. But it is a reminder that you don't have to be burdened by your lack of performance. God, God is looking at, okay, they responded in faith. And look, they're still responding in faith. And look, here we are at the finish line. It's a beautiful picture that he just overlooks so much in each one of these cases. So here... Uh, he went out not knowing where he was going by faith. He dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Those two names are profound fulfillments of prophecy, which we'll get to. The heirs with him of the same promise. He waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, uh, there, there is the earthly fulfillment of that, but that's not what the author is talking about, right? Because Jerusalem is eventually established. Canaan is conquered and Jerusalem is built and the temple is assembled and, and, and God fulfilled all of those things. God built those things. But he's talking about the heavenly. He's talking way beyond those things. I make that point because you're going to see God fulfill things in your life. And they're going to be a great blessing to you. You know, you, you were in the gutter or, you know, just without Christ, however you were. Maybe you were, you know, pretty squeaky clean, but you were without Christ and you surrendered to Christ. And now the Lord is doing things in your life. And those are wonderful. 
families and homes and friendships and just you know fellowship and all the things that the Lord provides. And they're, they're really great. They're wonderful. But the ultimate fulfillment is way beyond those things. And that's what the author of Hebrews is pointing to right now. So yeah, you can look at this and you know understand, yeah, well, eventually Abraham's promise was fulfilled. Israel was developed. They conquered Canaan. They built Jerusalem. They had the temple. They had all those, you know, city built foundations, maker God, sure. But but really, it's it's looking way beyond that. So we'll examine it. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Yeah, you know, it's 90. Uh, that's past the age, huh, ladies, right, to, you know, to have kids. Look, I'm, I'm 52 now and, uh, you know, raised my kids through my 20s and my 30s. And um, the grandkids come over regularly, and it's a huge joy. It's a great thing. But, wow, they wear me right out. And I'm just 52, you know. I, can, I cannot imagine. Right now at 52, you know, Lori has... I think halfway jokingly, you know, said things like, wouldn't it be great to have a kid, you know, sort of thing. The grandkids are inspirational. And I'm like, no, you know, I just, <laughs> I, just I mean, the reality of, of how much energy it, it took to, to, to do that. I, I, I think I would be doing a tremendous disservice to those little people to try and be a father. Uh, it takes a lot. Abraham was 100, right? We're going to talk about it here. Listen, the scripture actually records that God restored their youthfulness. How about that? It isn't just you're really elderly and now here's a child. There was a miraculous experience of youthfulness that was restored to them, you know, in her senior years, men that saw her were trying to acquire her for themselves. Her beauty and her youth was restored. Remarkable thing. So Sarah here herself also received strength, the, the, the rejuvenation to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past age, literally past menstruation. She, she had come to the point where she couldn't have had a child because she judged him faithful who had promised. Again, forgive me for chasing the rabbit trails, you guys, but wow, does the scripture overlook a lot of stuff, right? Because when the first, the promise had come and they hung on to that, but then the years passed and it didn't happen. And then the Lord shows up at their tent and tells them, about this time next year, Sarah's going to be pregnant. She's just inside the tent, and she cracks up. Right? She bursts out in laughter at hearing that. And, and the Lord confronts her, and she lies. Right? You say, well, it's a little white lie, but it was a lie. Do you look in the face of the Lord and lie? She did. She did. Why did you laugh? And he, she says, I didn't laugh. <laughs> but you did, right? So interesting. I know it was in her mind and in her heart when she named that child laughter. 
She named that child Laughter, certainly for the joy, right? But I, I, I'm fairly confident that it was somehow tied to that moment in the tent where the Lord said. None of that's recorded here, right? Because we could summarize that as doubt, couldn't we? We could, right? Somebody tells you, hey, the Lord's going to bless your life in this particular impossible way. And you go, come on. But then the Lord does it. That doubting laughter could be summarized as faithlessness. This is why I make such a point about how this faith is not a power we yield. Right? It's not, it's not how we do it. Oh, I just believed so much that it finally came to pass. No, 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 no. Right? You, you believed about as much as a mustard seed. Right? In the one who was capable of doing it all. He did the whole work. You barely believed. Right? Tell me you didn't. Your own personal circumstances. Right? You heard from the Lord and you said yes. And then time passed and it still hadn't come. And you finally came to the place where you're like, I don't think so. But then the Lord fulfills it. And you return to saying, yes, I knew it. <laughs> and God erases that doubt. And says, you believed. How gracious of him. How gracious of him, right? It isn't the strength of your faith, you guys. Don't misunderstand any of this to say this. It's the strength of the one you place your faith in. If you're believing Buddha, forget it. He's long dead. If you're believing Muhammad, forget it. He's long dead. He has no ability. Jesus Christ, the ever-present one, will fulfill. Right? I'm not, I'm not telling you, again, I'm not giving you permission to be faithless. you got to hang on. you got to persist. When it gets down to that last thread, you're not a less Christian for coming to that place. You're not. Right? These people came to that place. That's the whole point. I'll let the cat out of the bag, you guys. We turn the page. Samson is listed in here. Samson's in the Hall of Faith. That dude was a jerk. He was miserable, selfish. Even in his death, which was a suicide, that's heavy to take. I'm not going to make any commentary on that. Okay. But even in his death, he said, I'm paraphrasing, let me push this temple down and kill all of these Philistines because of what they did to my eyes. His, his motivation is still self. He hasn't even grown up to the point where he's saying, God... Let me commit this final act of heroism because of how they've disgraced your name or, or how they've tortured your people or in order to defeat them as a people one last time to rid ourselves of them. It's because of my selfish loss. Why did you lose your eyes, Samson? Because of your lust. 
You lost your eyes because of lust. Right? God doesn't record any of that. He just plunks Samson down in the middle of the hall of faith for us. That's a stunning thing. Right? If, if you're wrestling with this whole concept of, wait a minute, I, I thought some of this faith thing was based upon my own personal internal strength. Oh, I, I don't mean to be cruel, but understand that's your pride creeping up. Because it's not you who accomplishes these things. It's Jesus Christ. You, you, just, you just trust him for the fulfillment. You just trust him for the fulfillment of these things. I, look, again, I'm not trying to create a hopelessness. I'm trying to create a hope in you so that if you hit the brick wall and you're filled with despair, God hasn't thrown you off. God doesn't look at you and go, well, I thought we had a faithful program running there, but I see that you're just floundering and whining and crying again, so I'll see you later. He doesn't write you off in that moment. These people are recorded here as having been faithful and seen the fulfillment of God's promises in their life. God dumbs it way down for us. Because this is our character. This is who we are. Praise God that he is who he is. Amen? Amen. So, here, Sarah, she's received this promise and then receives the end of the promise. Therefore... From one man, and him as good as dead. Listen, the uh, translators were extremely polite. Okay, This is literally talking about his sexual impotence. Abraham is incapable of having a child as much as Sarah is. He cannot perform in order to have a child. Him as good as dead. His body as far as reproduction goes, was as good as dead. That's what the scripture is telling us right there. And yet, God restored to him the youthfulness to have a child. To him, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Listen, you know, the critics always want to, Say that's not possible. Oh, you know, nation of Israel isn't that big, not even historically. Guess what it is? <laughs> and it will be. God is accomplishing what he wants to. Listen, it just reminds me, if you don't follow Amir Sarfati and his application and ministry known as Behold Israel, I would strongly encourage you to get that on your computer, your phone, the app. Uh, Amir, he can't ever say it, but as far as I can tell over the years, he strongly hinted at the fact that he's part of the Mossad, so, you know, is Israeli Secret Service. And his information is always extremely accurate. And uh, the stuff that is going on right now that we're not hearing in the news regarding Afghanistan and the Middle East and Russia and, you know, Ezekiel 38 type developments, please keep yourself informed. Nation of Israel, uh, you know, that's that's the, the stopwatch as for where we are in, in human history and prophecy. The stuff that's going on right now is remarkable. So keep yourself informed. 
Uh, the, the nation of Israel born to Sarah and Abraham, fulfillment of God's promise, even when it was beyond possibility through their human flesh. Verse 13, these all died in faith, having not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This is why we know the author of Hebrews is speaking of the heavenly. Because Sarah and Abraham received their child. And Isaac and Jacob and then the twelve sons and the nation of Israel was born. And all of these people saw earthly things. They're looking beyond that. So the author of Hebrews is telling us to look beyond. Yes, you're going to experience earthly fulfillments. But we're just strangers and pilgrims here. This is not our home. We, we have a permanent home, which isn't going to have any of this junk going on in it. Um, I, uh, I Don't take this the wrong way. I, I'll, I'll whine and cry for a minute and bear with me. I, I'm suffering this illness and... <clears throat> One of the things that's happening with this illness is it's robbing me of sleep. It, it the, the pain that's going on uh, causes it to be that, um, you know, cannot sleep, uh, go to bed, you know, 4.30, 5.30, in the morning, wake up 7, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, just stagger through the next day sometimes. You know, actually get a full night's sleep. I mean, and all of you that are going to come and say, have you tried this? Have you done that? I, I like, you know, this started in December of uh, 2018. Okay, so so here I am uh, dealing with all of this junk. Um, I've, I've really gotten to a place where, like, you know, you're reading that you're going to, you know, enter into his rest. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I, that'll be good. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you're hearing things like there'll be no night there, and I'm thinking like I really would like to go to bed for a century. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but but here's the thing: we'll not grow weary. Not so. It isn't even gonna. It's gonna, like the need for rest is gonna be taken away. There won't be any exhaustion. Won't that be wonderful? Won't that be wonderful to ever, wouldn't it be great to just be able, you know, you know when you go to church and it's just all right and the music's just perfect and everybody's singing and you fellowship and the study's wonderful, that's heaven. For eternity, never tired, continuously on, and the preacher is magnificent there, you know, and for now you got to put up with me, so. We'll be in his presence and it's going to be amazing. How we long for this? That's this is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Pick your eyes up off this earth and look to the final destination. You're just a pilgrim here. You're just a wanderer. You're just camping. This is all temporary. You're going to get into the permanent dwelling place. Oh, I long for that. I long for the day where we are done with all of this. Verse. 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. If you're saying I'm a pilgrim, uh, you know, I'm a wanderer, I'm a stranger, you're saying I'm not home yet. I'm, I'm on my way. You know, I, uh, 
It was Isaac Watts that wrote that sojourn. You know, you're just on your way there. It's not. This is not the place. They seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. Abraham could have gone back to Ur of the Chaldees if truly he was focused on earth and those things. He could have just gone back. And there's kind of a condemnation in that, right? Because there are some people who declare themselves Christians, but then you look at their life and they've just gone back to the old things. To which you then have to ask, are you a wanderer with us? Because <laughs> our heart is set on a different home. It's not set on this place. Consider, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's the first little hint that you get that God would be justified in being ashamed of owning them. He would be. Because of their failures. Because of their shortcomings. Because of their faithlessness. <clears throat> but he's not. Because they're saying, I don't want any of this. I hate my failures. I hate my shortcomings. I hate... All of this. I'm longing for your presence. I want to leave here and experience what you have to offer me. And God, therefore, says, you are truly mine. Wow, what a blessed thing that he owns us, even in that picture. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he is, was tested, offered Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Right? Abraham tell, God tells Abraham, I want you to offer your only son Isaac on the altar. And there's an amazing, huge Bible study we could divert into regarding that. But in obedience... Abraham takes his son up on what is Calvary. He goes up Mount Moriah, which all that time later is actually Mount Calvary where Jesus Christ was offered. So he takes him up on the mount. But here's the thing. There in Genesis, when he does that, he says to those who went with them, you stay here, my servants, you stay here. Me and the boy will go up the mountain and we will return. He was saying, even in that moment, I'm coming back with this young man. Now, regardless of what we're planning on doing, he's coming back. So when the author of Hebrews here tells us that Abraham knew God was, if nothing else, going to raise his son from the dead, okay, he believed that in his heart based upon this fact that God had said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Not, I want you to get rid of this son, and we're just we're going to start the program over, and you and Sarah will have another child, and we'll do... No, not Ishmael, right? You and Sarah tried that whole program of you being intimate with her handmaid, 
you know, Hagar, and you had the child born to you, uh, Ishmael, where you thought that you were going to fulfill God's promises by being disobedient to me, and that was a horrible mess, and now you got rid of him, and now you've got Isaac, and that's the kid. So if you obey me right now and you do what I'm saying, Isaac's still the kid. He's the young man who I'm going to fulfill these promises through, right? And just for shooting it out there, Isaac's probably right around 30 years old when he takes him up the mountain, right? Tell me that he couldn't have trounced his father, okay? The old man could have been easily overcome by the 30-year-old, 33-ish-year-old son, at that point, an image of Jesus Christ submitting to his heavenly father at the crucifixion. Okay. And he comes back down. They, listen, that, that as frustrated as you may be with your kids, God's not calling you to be, you know, a murderous weirdo. This was a very particular instance in the scripture where God had no intention that Abraham would harm his son. Right. Listen, for, you know, the critics even accuse God of being a child abuser because he crucified his own son. OK, listen, God, the father knew Jesus Christ was going to be resurrected. Right. So realistically, in comparison to us, it's not even the same picture. Right. Jesus is going to suffer physically and emotionally and spiritually Right, but he's going to be the victorious king on the other side, and God knows that. And it's for all of us. All of us. You know, there's that old English term, the whipping boy. Right? Jesus is the whipping boy. He 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 took that substitutionary atonement. All you ladies are like bundling up here. Let me change the temperature in the room. Okay, so point being that while Abraham obeyed, we should not put any sinful earthly picture on that. You have to view it through the lens of Jesus Christ's sacrifice only. And that's where Abraham was. Tremendous faith demonstrated in that. And you have all the same opportunity to imitate that in an earthly sense, right? You know what the real struggle is for you? It's, it's backwards. Okay, It's backwards because in an earthly sense, we have to do the opposite. You want to live in the kingdom, what do you have to do? You have to die. right? You want to be the greatest, you've got to become the least. You want to throttle those little kids? No, you love them. You do the opposite thing. So, so here, as we see this, there's no encouragement here to do something criminal. Uh, you know, Abraham was showing us a picture of Jesus Christ. How do we do that in our lives? We love them. Even when your head's about to explode. Even when they frustrate you beyond imagination. That's where you calm your voice. And you speak peaceably. And you say the things that the Lord would have you to say rather than what's swirling around in your head. You do what the Lord would have you do. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. How strange is that description in there? 
right? Because Esau was supposed to get the blessing, and instead Jacob got the blessing, and it was through deception. And how in the world could it be that Isaac was actually doing God when there was deceit? And because uh, God's sovereign, God is sovereign. And he accomplishes, well, I, I don't really understand that. Right, because God's sovereign, not you. You're going to stand around like the rest of Christianity has done for all these centuries, and you're going to wonder at how in the world could that possibly be the outworking of God's plan. Right. That's all you can ever come, that's the closest you're ever going to come to a conclusion, is to look at it and go, how in the world? Because God's sovereign, that's how. You're only going to understand to a certain point. You're only ever going to be able to grasp these things to a certain point. When you stand in his presence, then it'll be very clear. The, the scripture promises you that, right? 1 Corinthians, right now we see dimly and backwards as in a mirror. It's not right. You'll get there and go, oh, I, now I get it. Why? Well, because that's Jesus right there. I don't have to imagine it. I don't have to think about it. I'm in his presence. You will understand things as they are. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Right, Ephraim and Manasseh, born to Joseph inside Egypt. And, and remember the deal? Right as he goes to put his hands on the boy's heads, he switches his hands so that his right hand is on Manasseh and his left hand on Ephraim. So strange, you know. No, no, I'm doing it just why? Because, right, Joseph walks up and he actually, he positions the boys so that when dad reaches out with his right hand, blind father who cannot see anymore is going to reach out with his right hand and put his hand on, on the head of the one that Joseph wants and, and the left hand on the, and, and just before it happens, he switches his hands. And even to the point that Joseph's like, oh, you're messing up, dad. He's like, no, this is the Lord's intention. Again, the sovereignty of God. No, have you gone through terrible things in life and thought, this is injustice? Surely God has dropped the ball. <laughs> this is not right. I am being wronged. And you get to the other end and you see how God has molded you and shaped you and fashioned you through the process. And had you not gone through those things, then your character wouldn't be what it is today. God puts us through. He puts us through things. He puts us through things in order to render in us what he desires. Again, quoting James. Consider it pure joy whenever you're faced with trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Right? And perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So apparently if the Lord is putting you through it, he noticed that you're lacking something. <laughs> you thought you were complete, perfect, fine, wonderful. And God said, nope, head first through the meat grinder. Here we go. And you come out the other side as he intends. He does his will. Right? Okay, it's not pleasant. We have to consider it pure joy. It's not pure joy, but you have to consider it pure joy. Why? Don't you like the end results? Don't you like what the Lord has done in your life? 
I can tell you this, as you've grown and you're matured, everyone around you likes what the Lord has done in your life. <laughs> the changes, the positive changes that have taken place. Consider. Look at the things and sometimes we don't understand them. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Don't you leave me in Egypt, is what he said. You're going to the promised land. They weren't even seeing the, the, the future for the promised land. you got to understand, right? Uh, Joseph was in favor with Pharaoh, and the trouble had not even come upon them as a nation when he passed away. So the thought that they would ever leave Egypt, why would you leave Egypt? Things are good. The Pharaoh likes Joseph and all of his countrymen. Joseph recognizes that's not always going to be that way. And you're someday going to leave Egypt. And when you go, you better put me in a box and take me with you. That's quite, a, that's quite a serious commitment to God's promise and his plan. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. So you save the good-looking ones. That's not what the scripture is saying at all. Okay, <laughs> It's the, the entire beauty of Moses' person, the, the spiritual beauty of God's plan and what the yes the scripture records that he was a handsome child and a handsome man it's one of the few occasions that the scripture tells us but that is the implication of God's the entire beauty of God's plan and his parents by faith preserved his life in the picture listen I think every child is beautiful I mean that I, I I've seen and I don't mean to be cruel at all when I say this I've seen some really homely children. I mean, you might be offended by my saying that, but I, literally I've seen some very homely children. They're beautiful. When they're little children, just that innocence and who they are and what they are and all that their life holds and the potential, what a beautiful thing. Those little fingers and toes and face, it just that's amazing. I appreciate what has happened in Texas this week. The preservation of life, the laws that have been changed, that if a child has a heartbeat, they cannot abort that child. There's going to be a Supreme Court battle over that uh, because the mechanism that they used uh, to preserve the life is going to be contested. So continue to pray, but it, it will eventually. And we've got another Supreme Court battle that's on the way right now, which has a greater potential to overturn Roe versus Wade. And uh, if you've always thought of that as just so permanent impossible, understand that most of Europe, uh, Europe, uh, abortion is illegal, okay, in most of Europe. You can get abortion under medical necessity, like most people think, like, yeah, you, you would be, but it, not just abortion on demand like we do, okay? So, so they, they have long ago recognized life. At conception, and probably we're going to follow suit. Pray hard, pray earnestly for life and and the laws and the things that are going on here. Uh, you know that his parents recognized the beauty of the promise and him as the child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Here it is again, right? That was the law of the land. You have to obey. How how could you, as a believer, disobey the authorities of the land? 
Uh, it's happened over and over again. And in fact, it was the midwives who most disobeyed. And, and listen, lots of pastors try to smooth it over in different ways. Those midwives lied to Pharaoh. They went and delivered the children, and Pharaoh calls them into question and says, what are you doing? And they say, oh, you wouldn't believe it. These Hebrew girls, I'm paraphrasing, they're just so strong. We show up and they've already had their kids, you know, and then we don't know what they've done with them. No, no, no. They showed up and they delivered the children. They cut the umbilical. They prepped the child. They gave it to the parents and left. And when they were called into account, they lied. Boldface to the Pharaoh and said, the girls give birth before we get there. There's nothing we can do. You know, if they were weaklings like the Egyptian girls, we'd probably have to be doing a lot of deliveries, but they're hardy young women, these Israeli girls, and, and they have kids before we get there. And then the scripture says, and God blessed the household of those midwives. The Lord blessed the Christians in Germany in World War II who looked right at the face of those Nazis and said, nope, no Jews in this house. No Christians hiding here. Move along. <laughs> and God bless those people. There are some that insist, it's wrong, you should never lie. You know, if you were in Germany, you should have told those Nazis that the Jews were upstairs in the attic. Let me just tell you, Baloney, okay? I'm telling you as a pastor, there is a higher law. There is a higher authority than men. And if I know your intentions are to murder a child, I'm going to look you in the face and lie my butt off. And then I'll deal with that between me and God. And you can just roll right down the road. The preservation of life. They lied. And they even, you know, people go, well, half-truth is a lie. Okay. I don't know if you've ever noticed it before, but Moses' parents pulled off a half-truth. Do you know right? So supposed to throw the kid into the Nile River. That was the command. Well, they did that. <laughs> right? They did it. Put him in a basket and, uh, you know, put a little guard with him and put him in the bulrushes so he wouldn't drift downstream. But, you know. He's in the Nile. You know? <laughs> we did. We put him right in the Nile, just like you said. Yeah. Consider. Consider. They, uh, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And, and here, I just I want to get through this one little bit, and then we'll leave off for tonight. By faith, when Moses became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. you got to make sure you put those together. Right? It wasn't just that he was like, oh, um, I'm not going to be recognized as being part of Pharaoh's household. But, you know, I'll, I'll still take the paycheck every week and live like the Egyptians, and do the Egyptian stuff. No, he chose to separate himself from the sinfulness of Pharaoh's household. Once he was aware, I am not of this household, I have a call from God in my life, he separates himself 
from it. I think that there's a terrible perspective inside Christianity where a lot of Christians want to participate in the sinful pleasures of the world and still act like I'm a child of God. Consider how that might speak to you. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Guess what? There is pleasure in sin. We all wish there wasn't, right? That would keep us from it. But there is pleasure in sin. But the scripture also promises that it's temporary. Right? Because it is going to destroy your life. You got to deal with all the heartache and all of the fruit that comes from sinfulness. The corruption. It's not fruit. It's the corruption. The rot. The decay that comes from sin. Moses chose to reject that. Esteeming the repro reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He esteemed, he held it in high esteem. Reproach. I hope you've got that in your heart. That you want to be persecuted. You desire to be mocked. You want people to hate you. Right? Because if you've got any sense of, oh, I hope they don't snarl at me. <laughs> they might curl their lip. What if, what if people don't like me? Well, then you don't, you're not dialed into the program at all. Because that's some of the biggest promises in the scripture. They are going to hate you. They are going to persecute you. They are going to say terrible things about you. And I'll just put it out hard and blunt. If you have that thing of wanting to be accepted by them, we're back to the discussion of you being a man pleaser. You are supposed to be a God pleaser. Our desire needs to be that I am pleasing to God, which equals being hated by the world. If you're trying to be like the coolest Christian ever so that everybody just gets along with you, Right? Proverbs tells us that the fear of man, which is that what that, that's what that is, is a snare. It is a trap. And don't think of it as a mouse trap, right? Think of it as a bear trap, something that would kill you. That when it slams shut, your life is over. You don't want to function in the place where you were desirous of men's approval. He looked for the reward from heaven rather than the pleasures and the treasures of Pharaoh's household. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. If you had it in your mind that when he killed the Egyptian and he fled because Pharaoh was after him, it was not based in the fear of the king. According to that right there, he fled, right, as part of his identification with the nation of Israel. It, it, it was the finality of the thing. Well, now I've killed an Egyptian, and they're really going to reject me, so I might as well leave town. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I guess I have finally slammed that door shut. You know, all done here. He leaves. He endured as seeing him who is invisible, right? He actually had the conversation with him who is invisible at the burning bush, right? 
Moses is quite an example. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. They, they followed Passover, slaughtered the lamb at the door of the homes, put the, the blood on the doorposts and the lentil, and were obedient to what the Lord had called them to, out of fear for what God could bring upon them, lest he be destroyed. He who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And we'll close by faith. They passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. You say, well, faith, I mean, the Red Sea opened up. and they, they How much faith is involved in that? If there are two walls of congealed water on either side of you, and if you've ever seen the Red Sea, the thoughts of crossing that entire distance with giant walls of water standing on either side, that's going to take some faith. Okay? <clears throat> It was faith just to leave out of Egypt. But when you come to that, probably most of us, just from a human sense, would be like, no. <laughs> it's really cool to look at, but I'm not going down in there. Right? How about this thought, you guys? However you might apply that to your life, part of their acting in faith was the fact that the Egyptian army was hot on their heels. You might look at some circumstance in your life where there are seemingly walls that could collapse upon you, and maybe you've taken the deep breath and thought, no, I can see God's provision, but I am not going into that circumstance. And then he unleashes the destructive army behind you, and you go, okay, now we'll go, yeah. You want me to move? I know you want me to move, but I'm not going to move. I'm comfortable staying right here. Okay, now I've been evicted. I guess I'll move, you know? God does stuff, doesn't he? He moves you right along. Hey, listen, I give that example because I've shared with you before as a congregation. Uh, my wife and I lived <clears throat> in Heartland, Maine when we started this fellowship. Uh, that's two hours away. So... We would get up on Sunday morning and we would drive down here two hours and do the Sunday morning service. And very often we would just stay in town and we would do the Sunday evening service. And then, you know, you want to stay and minister to people. So when the last people finally leave at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, you get in your car and you drive home two hours. And on Wednesday, when you get out of work, you come down here two hours and you do the Bible study. And at 8, 9, 10 o'clock, whenever everybody leaves... You get in your car and you drive home two hours with your kids and your wife and you drive home and you do this and you do this because you thought in the beginning, well, this is a Bible study. I'm doing a home Bible study and now it's become sort of a church. And so now you start asking God, do you want me to move down there? And so we sat down on a Friday night and said, Lord, if you want us to move down to Ellsworth and make this like a permanent church, we'll do that. We prayed for a couple hours, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. And we're Saturday morning sitting in the kitchen cooking the kids' pancakes, and the knock comes at the door. And I open the door, and it's my landlord. And he says, you know, I know you signed a year's lease agreement and everything, and I really hate to do this to you, but I sold this house yesterday. You've got 30 days to move. <laughs> 
And we go, now God, do you really want us to move out? <laughs> right? He does this to us. And it's a wonderful thing. Not always that pleasant to experience in the moment, right? But God fulfills his desires. Are you his child? See, when you raised your hand and said, my life is not mine anymore, I want to be born again. I give you my life. God says, are you sure? Because I'm going to do whatever I want with it. Maybe, maybe some of your struggle is wrestling with his will. Give in. I say that easily. And now he'll put me through the ringer this week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? We get tested. Trust him. Faith. Right? The just shall live by faith. This is where we need to live. Is in faith. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your love and your work in our lives, and we pray that you would touch our hearts and help us to live in this faith. Accomplish your work and your will through us, in us. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. Lord, help us to share with people. We recognize the end is very close. Give us those opportunities, Lord, that we would invite people into your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.